Welcome to the Resilient Mind Podcast, exploring how our thoughts and feelings influence our actions. I am Steve Nathanson, CEO and founder of Strive for More, professional coaching firm, and... I'm Andrew Marangoni, founder and CEO of Steel City Pack Leader. Together, we founded Pittsburgh Pet Care, where coaching and pet care meet. And this is our podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Resilient Mind podcast with Andrew and Steve. I'm Steve Nathanson with my good friend, Andrew Marangoni. Andrew, how are you doing, my friend? Fantastic. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited for today because we have a very special guest on, Amber Kivett, and I'm grateful, Amber, that you are willing to be a part of this podcast with us, and I'm truly excited to hear the conversation that we're going to have and what you're going to share today. So let me... Uh, without further ado, allow you to, to introduce yourself and, and let our listeners learn a little bit more about you, if you will. Awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Andrew, for allowing me to be part of your journey here today. Um, my name is Amber Kivett. I am a, um, I live in, in Indianapolis, Indiana, about 30 minutes from the airport. Um, my background is, uh, I like to call myself a hybrid coach in sports, form, sports performance, sports medicine, and uh, massage body work, but also mindset, uh, mental, men, I call it mental game training. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm in my early 40s and I'm a graduate of Purdue in sports medicine, exercise science. And just, um, it, it's interesting how I started my journey years ago, back in 2002, thinking that I wanted to have this um, specific dream of falling into the norm in sports medicine and adversity uh, knocked on my door and took me down a completely different path that I didn't expect, mm. but along the way gave me a great gift that I didn't expect coming. So I'm excited to share all that with you guys. Yeah. And actually to that point, maybe I'm jumping the gun, but would you mind sharing <laughs> what you do now currently? Because you have a, an amazing facility. So I want to yeah. make sure that we, we get that opportunity to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. So um, part of my problem um, that, that happened back in 2005, um, I was struck by a motor vehicle and uh, was sandwiched between two of those vehicles and suffered eight spinal injuries. Mm. Um, along with that, had head trauma and immediately uh, experienced the onset of fibromyalgia. And so it took me about two years to learn to walk again. Um, and I was taking about 21 pills a day uh, that were prescribed to me because I was kind of an experimental study since they didn't yeah. know really anything about a lot of the concussion protocols that we use nowadays and autoimmune disease that we deal with a lot now. Um, a lot of the drugs that came about during that time, um, they really didn't know much about how to use them off label. So I was kind of a guinea pig um, without even realizing it at the time until I started developing some other symptoms of overdose um, and just, you know, a lot of short-term memory, a lot of different things. But uh, long, long story short, um, I ended up in uh, kind of terminating my medical practitioners, doctors who were not really recognizing what I wanted in my life, um, as opposed to being a number, they were not treating me as an individual. And so I sought out Eastern medicine and uh, found an Asian physician to work with me on acupuncture and cupping and herbal detox and just getting my systems running at optimal levels. Uh, found a chiropractor who worked with uh, professional athletes and really did a lot more manipulation and manual therapy than just your traditional um, adjustments. And then I hired a massage therapist two hours every week to move the fluid in my body because I could not move. And then I hired a psychologist to learn how to manage the mental process of recovery associated with trauma and injury. And um, 
I guess I overcame the odds in some ways, but at the same time, in order to understand the body from the inside out, mind, truly mind, body, and spirits, um, I healed myself over the period of that two years. And as uh, soon as the menial practice laws changed for certified athletic trainers, um, I went and specialized in everything that healed me. And so now my niche is instant pain relief. So I provide treatments to, I've created my own system, uh, which is referred to as Kippers, Kivit Instant Pain Relief Systems. And um, every day I see clients who are in a lot of pain, mentally or physically or emotionally, and I can provide them instant pain relief. And it's a guaranteed relief on some level or they don't pay for my service. So, and what's really unique about it is it's in, it's in my facility next door to my house. So I live in the middle of nowhere on a cattle farm and my facility is about 4,000 square feet. And we have just invested a chunk of change into it during the pandemic because the pandemic brought more people to our door than we anticipated. So yeah, in the last two years, I've taken on 300 new clients one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. So it's been truly a gift in itself that I did not see coming. And I didn't realize probably until about five years ago, how powerful the gift really was. Cause I just thought, oh, this is, this is how it's supposed to be for everybody. And just realized that, you know, that so many people were going to a lot of different specialists and not getting results. And I was the end of the rope for them. Mm -hmm. And I was able to turn their life around. So it truly has been a um, game changer, but um, a lot of spirit and a lot of God put into the whole process. Yeah. And the facility is gorgeous, by the way. It you is. Know, I'm I proud know, of it. <laughs> yeah. I haven't had the opportunity to see in person, but the pictures are they're phenomenal. And I'm yeah. so thankful to have someone like you on this, on the show. Um, I apologize that I can't stop gushing over it because there's so much <laughs> value in having someone like you to be able to serve as that guide for people to help them do something that we often neglect, you know, with athletes, you, you know, your head's going to shake. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. When I say this, but it's the hardest thing for people to rest and recover and actually yeah. help themselves overcome pains and trauma that absolutely. they have. And so your system that you have is something that is it's unique. Um, the Kipper system is it's phenomenal and it's something that's incredibly valuable. And that, I'm so thankful that you're sharing that with the, the world. I, I truly you. am. And you're talking about actually the main thing we talk about on this program is it's harnessing the power of thought and communication to be resilient, right? The resilient mind. So mm -hmm. with that, when you work with these folks that come into your facility, are there a couple key things that you find are trends in terms of what they need to harness the resilience to overcome and how you help them? Absolutely. So the really cool thing about my about my facility is I'm working with individuals starting at the age of like six or seven, mm -hmm. all the way up to the age of 80 or 90. And some of those individuals are not athletes. Um, they're just everyday common individuals. And, um, you know, I, I say it like that because athletes carry so many different pressures that most people don't realize. Um, and, and but we all we all carry a lot of the same pressures. It's just coming from a different direction. Um, it has been a very powerful year in that because of the pandemic and so much isolation and not being able to do what people want to do for the point of stress relief, especially athletes, um, it has been a record year for seeing suicidal cases. Mm. Um, and, and I'm not talking about suicidal cases in high school, but I'm talking about D1 athletes um, who are on the edge of you know, taking the leap that they don't need to be yeah. taking. Um, because they are quiet. Most everybody is a silent sufferer. 
And um, I can, uh, a little insight about me. Um, I actually attempted suicide my senior year of high school after being gang raped by three guys and just couldn't, couldn't get past, you know, the loneliness and the humiliation and how disgusting I felt. Um, so I truly understand what it feels like to be at the absolute bottom of the barrel and you can't see the way out of it until somebody happens to pull you out of, uh, you know, in order to see the light. Um, and so when the athletes walk in the door with their parents and a lot of parents bring them, um, I can see it when they walk in the door. I don't even have to ask questions. I can already see it in their body language. I can see it in their face and parents are so, um, I don't want to want to put it They're They're so, um, they don't, they don't even see their own kid that they see that their kids are normal. Um, you know, they, they don't understand that they're truly suffering, but I can see it in, in how they move, how they, uh, enter the door, you know, and how they lack opening up or they just are, you can tell that they're numb. Um, and I think the biggest challenge that we have seen, especially in the last year, and it happens whether uh, you have an injury or not. One thing that's really important to understand, all physical injuries have an emotional underlying of pain. So, or all physical pain, if you don't have an injury, but you have severe anxiety or you're suffering depression, those emotional uh, underlyings lead to physical pain. Um, and, and because it's carried in our connective tissue or fascial system, which yeah. carries, you know, pain 10 times greater than that of a muscle or a nerve. So, you know, when it comes to recognizing that these individuals are being brought in for physical pain, um, I immediately let them know that we're going to be diving into the emotional underlying side of it. And it's almost like a, a sigh of relief, but I have to have parents leave the room and for, for them to be able to unload on me because we cry every day and I cry with my clients. I mean, it's, it's all, you know, I can, because I've been there, I can truly feel how they feel in some ways. Um, but parents are just oblivious, you know, that it's, it's actually, you know, happening no matter how old the individual, um, but I think the biggest challenge that athletes are facing right now, or anybody for that matter, um, you know, I did a presentation the other day for the National Athletic Training Association, and a lot of athletic trainers, a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors are playing imposter syndrome because they're thrown so many different situations that they're not prepared for. And they've got like, people are like, you're the expert, figure it out, you know, um, and, and they're afraid. So they put on this imposter syndrome, like, okay, like <laughs> hell or high water, we're going to sink or we're going to swim, you know? So they have to figure out the corks because they don't have the skills or the leadership or the coaching like we have in order to be able to thrive. So, uh, most athletes though, you know, there's no science that has ever been conducted in the history of mankind. Uh, what happens to the human body when you take it out of its periodization cycle and you just pause, mm -hmm. um, and again, most of these athletes, that is their life. They have yep. worked for 15 to 20 years to be able to get to where they're at, to wonder like, oh my gosh, do I still have it? Am I going to be able to make it when I have to hit that pitching mound? Am I going to be able to hit the ball? Or am I going to be able to do what I'm supposed to do when I'm called upon without this training for weeks on end? Because even when they're like not COVID positive, uh, because of what we know in research, it's evidence-based truly, um, the vaccine causes some heart problems uh, for perfectly healthy individuals. And so when they're going back to practice, they're having to walk laps around the facility instead of jogging so that they can monitor their hearts to making sure that they're able to thrive uh, and, and work back up to that. But they're not given the ideal timeline and the strength coaches that are working in these universities do not have the skills 
or the research to be able to create this human structure to perform as a machine as it's been recruited to, to perform. And coaches, if you don't perform and you don't win, you get fired. So it mm. truly is a business, but athletes are not being treated as the same. You know, they, they are a business transaction and they're yeah. not treated human because there are so many other athletes that can fall into that spot that they don't have to deal with the headache. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure and a lot of them don't know if they've got it. That, that's what it comes down to. First and foremost, the one thing I want to say is, is thank you uh, for sharing <laughs> what you shared. And I'm deeply, truly sorry that you've had that experience in your life. I, I did not know that. And I appreciate you sharing yeah, that with thank me. You. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of value in what you're talking about because there is so much pain. There is so much suffering in silence. You know, when I went through the bureau and training, you know, suffer in silence was definitely part of the term when we went through and mm -hmm. we, we got smoked for lack of a better term during our, our physical training that was there. And there's so many athletes now that are, I think, starting to fight that and break three of it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm thankful for them. Michael Phelps coming out, Simone Biles is coming out. Uh, Michaela Schifrin has been very open about, you know, what she's experienced throughout the past Olympics. And I mm -hmm. think that there is a shift hopefully that is coming on the collegiate all the way up to the professional level in sports, because to your point, people are treated as commodities. They're not treated as right. whole people. Uh, and there's so much value in addressing the mentality side of it. Absolutely. I think though, you know, a lot of the amateur kids get lost in all this as well. Cause I mean, yeah. I'm seeing a lot of, a, a lot of like teenage athletes who are not uh, elite superstars. They're just playing on a club team. And I'll tell you the softball baseball cult. Oh my gosh. Mm. Those parents are um, they're They're very giving to their kids, but uh, they want sometimes more than what their kids can give back. Um, and some of them are glamorized by the talent that their children portray or by what jersey or club they're part of. And, you know, I can tell you, I've worked with a lot of athletes who don't even want to play and they're playing because they're signed up to play and they have to play and they want to make parents happy. So they do it as much as they hate it. So I deal with those kids too. And those, that, those individuals are uh, harder to work with at times than adults are because their brains haven't even been formed yet. Right. And yet their entire future is being shaped around their identity of being an athlete. So when that identity is stripped of them, whether it's a traumatic injury or they don't make the team or the parents become separated and there's not enough money to play for that team, there are just so many different variables that lead to kids having a lot of the emotional turmoil that they're in. And a lot of it has a sport, it has a sport derivative to it. So it's, uh, yeah, I've seen a lot of that this year. Yeah. Andrew, I want to give you an option to weigh in as, as well. Um, curious, curious to hear your thoughts and input on, on what we're talking about. Well, yeah, it, it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you talk. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you definitely embody resiliency, in yeah. my opinion. Um, Thank you. And it's just been an honor to have you so far. I've just kind of been on of the stories. And I appreciate so much all the things that you're you're talking about, too, because I too know understand like seeing suffering that other people don't see because um, mm -hmm. I work with animals and they don't talk. So I see it with the same thing with the pet parents. They're like, oh, I want my dog to do all these things. The dog's like, I just 
I just want to be safe. <laughs> just, I, just, I just want you to pet me. Yeah. And wipe right. my tail, right? I'm just, lo- I'm just looking to be secure and you're looking to make me something I'm not. Um, right. And you know, there's, there's kind of the same thing in that realm is just like the business side of dog training has the par- parents like thoughts all over the place as far as what to expect from them. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of parallel looking at it from that standpoint. And uh, I look at it the same way as like your animal suffering. Let's, let's meet all its emotional, physical needs. And then we'll talk about building them up. And uh, the other thing that you kind of brought out that I think is very interesting is the, the, the fine line between pushing ourselves and, you know, destroying ourselves, Mm -hmm. like how, you know, we need to have this resiliency and this comeback to adversity, but we tend to take on too much to the point where we can't handle it um, right. and it starts creating corrosion and breakdown in, in ourselves emotionally and physically. And when you start, you know, down that path, you know, your physical pain starts linking to your emotional pain and vice mm-hmm. versa. And it's hard to diagnose, dissect, and, you know, really find a, somebody who can help guide through that. So I really appreciate sure what you are uh, putting out there in the world. Thank you. And with what we're bringing out, I think there's a clear trend of it's not just in one arena, right? Physical or not mm-hmm. just mental, right? We are whole people that Andrew and I've talked sure. about before, right? Everything goes into it. And I think that right. holistic approach is what's truly deeply needed. And if I were to summarize, I think the things that I take away from our conversation so far is it's not just isolate, but when we treat the whole person, then we're Mm -hmm. able to successfully move on and overcome what is the challenge that we're facing or challenges that we're facing in our path. And that's what truly helps us get to where we want to go. And it's okay to ask for help as well. I think that's one other important thing is because we feel like we have to do everything ourselves or it is on just us and we have to suffer in silence no one else can understand and it's okay because that's one of our goals on this podcast actually is to be very human and and lift that veil because we all go through similar things in lives it may look a little bit different but there's a way to overcome what we struggle with because the person next door if you know you may not think it has in some way in their life had to do the same and there's power in that connection absolutely uh, there's a couple of quotes that I like to, to share sure. with my clients when they walk in. Um, we are spiritual beings living a human life as opposed to human beings living a spiritual life. Mm. So when it comes to, you know, some of our mentors talking about legacy, how do you want to be remembered? Because your spirit continues on even after you're gone, as long as you choose to see it that way. If you choose to see yourself being a human being living a spiritual life, then the spirit is lost if you haven't really truly lived. Um, and you're just going one day to the next and just going paycheck to paycheck just to be able to live. So I like to ask people, are you living to work or are you working to live? Because there's a huge difference there. And the way that, um, especially in the medical world, you know, a lot of, you know, doctors and nurses, uh, medical healthcare practitioners are working. So I have, they're a huge audience right now for me. Um, they're working 60, 70 hours a week because the hospital administrators don't care because Mm -hmm. they have so many people coming through and so many people right now, the pandemic is referred to as the great resignation. Mm -hmm. 
yep. where everybody can like, uh, you know, resign and go and find someplace else to work for more money and less uh, working hazards or conditions and more benefits because the demand is extremely high. Um, so, you know, it, are you living to work or are you working to live? Because those individuals, I've seen a lot of doctors, a lot of PAs, a lot of nurses, um, and, and the plethora of healthcare professionals um, that are coming in. And when I think about what they have to witness every single day, sharing somebody's last days of their lives because they're alone and the hospital will not allow their families to come in, um, you know, I can't imagine the grief that they carry on a day-to-day -day basis when they go home. And it is destroying their work-life balance relationships. Um, they're, they're starting to, and, and you know, hospitals I think are trying to provide some kind of mental um, reliefs in some capacity, but there are so many people. And I mean, I think the biggest problem I hear about right now is they don't even have time to go to the bathroom. So yeah. how on earth do you have time to go talk to somebody? So, you know, a form of acupuncture that I provide and a little bit of health uh, life coaching while they're on my table, um, you know, is, is helping with them rising up on the anxiety and just letting go of that negative energy that they absorb every single day. Yeah. Yeah. To that, actually, I think we're really kind of naturally branching into something else, Andrew, and I wanted to, to ask about. And uh, we were speaking before the call about this, about what a transformative world looks like. So sure. I'm, I'm curious, actually, maybe to throw that question out of what you want this world to become or you're working towards it or how you define a transform transformative world. Excuse me. I'll kind of give you free reign mm -hmm. to, to answer that in whatever way you see fit. <laughs> <laughs> that is a deep loaded question because I, I think a lot of it has to do with politics and I don't like to dabble in politics with clients or over the air because it is, it'll make or break you. Um, I can remember I was in college when the September 11th attack happened and um, I remember the entire country coming together. It didn't matter what your background was. It didn't matter what kind of money you had. It didn't matter what your religious beliefs were. Um, everybody came together to help and to support and to hug and high five. And um, it was a scary time, but it was a really kind of a thriving time on the same because for the first time, so many people weren't judged when a lot of clarity came out over what the uh, underlying uh, source of that attack really was from the standpoint that we understand it. Um, whereas now uh, there's uh, so much separation and division. And a lot of it, there's not really, not any control uh, amongst us individually other than just staying in your own lane, keeping your head down where you're supposed to keep your head down and having control over your own life. And it's frustrating, I think it's sometimes because you just don't, you wanna be able to engage and bring out the best of everybody, but because of how we are being pulled in so many different directions, um, it just takes one statement to really set off this downward spiral that you don't see coming. So I think um, a transformed world for me is just everybody being positive in their own world. And, you know, yeah, if you need to stay in your, lane, your own lane, you, you do you and you support the journeys of others. And I think that there's truly only one judge in this world and it's God. And I am a firm believer of that. And so for that reason, you know, a lot of people that come in come from different walks of life. I, I do not judge anybody that walks through my life unless they do me wrong. If they do me wrong, then we've crossed the line. And I've had some of those that have come through in the last year, um, just very narcissistic individuals. And I don't see it when they walk in the door necessarily, but I can feel it as it comes on. 
And I think for me, I just have to do what I can to steer clear of that negative energy as, as we are always, you know, talking energy vampires, you know, you give and you give and you give and they never give anything back and they just suck the life out of you. And I think we have a lot of those kind of people because of the selfishness and because, uh, you know, people want so much for themselves, but they don't want to work for it. So they're mm -hmm. entitled. Um, and, you know, it, I, we all have a dream or, or actually it's kind of weird. I've had some clients and I ask them, you know, what, it, what do you dream of? And, you know, the individuals that come in by generation. So if I've got somebody who is in their seventies, especially a 70 year old female, um, I'll ask her, be like, Hey, do you ever dream and just create an imagination? Because those individuals are suffering just as much as anybody. And she says, I've never been allowed to dream. And I'm like, what do you mean you've never been allowed to dream? Because that's a personal choice. Nobody knows if you're dreaming or you're not dreaming. She's like, I've never been promoted to dream. And I'm like, well, let's dream. Like if you could do anything tomorrow, you have like money is no issue. Location is no issue. Health is not an issue. If you could go do anything you wanted to do tomorrow, what would it be? And let's just create a list and let's start tapping into getting there as easy, the easiest way possible to at least be able to touch it without actually going there. Let's figure out a way to get there. You know, even if we have to use our imagination and just pretend. Um, but so many people don't dream because they're fighting. And when they're fighting, it's really hard to just imagine what could be instead of just trying to survive and stay on the life raft or trying to, uh, as my husband says, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic before it sinks. <laughs> you know, I, we're just all in a state of reaction as opposed to just truly embracing the miracles that happen in everything that happens within us every single day. And so I try and bring, it, bring out that perspective with my clients. And when they see it from a different angle, it's like, oh, life really isn't that bad. And I'm like, I know, like you just, you truly have control over what you think about, but people just don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, at the core, I think there's the core philosophy and I'll, I'll share my vision with you because I think it's very similar, right? It's, it's to a foster world in which we treat each other respectfully inspire each other to be great and follow our hearts. And Absolutely. Yeah. And it's embracing, right, that we all have the absolute right to be who we are and believe what we believe free of prejudice, discrimination, and injustice. However, in living that right, we do not have the ability to infringe upon someone else's ab ability to do the same. It's, Correct. It's how I characterize it. Um, and you're adding a phenomenal point to it is, it is very different generationally because we are groomed by our experiences as well right you know nature versus nurture i think it's a combination yeah. of, of the both and i was watching actually a phenomenal documentary um that nbc did and they were talking about the 1996 atlanta olympics mm -hmm. and just the pure incredible success that women had at that olympics and the history of it and for those who are unfamiliar, perhaps because we've grown up with a phenomenal culture right now of women's sports in this country, it wasn't always that way. And Title right. IX, you know, was legislation that really opened that up and actually started to give women a fair shake to be able to compete in organized sports. And if you start through that progression of talking to women who perhaps were in the 1920s, let's say, they may not said, I can't dream. I, I can't even see that it's possible, right? I'm not allowed to do that. And then when you start looking at how it progresses and you've got people like Mia Hamm, right? Who's yeah. a phenomenal soccer player. She started to really be able to explore and benefit from what was put in place by Title IX. And then you fast forward and you see people who, because she idolized, uh, I don't want to put people 
I don't want to misquote her, right? But she's looking at more of professional male athletes, let's say, right? In that sure. generation. And then you fast forward to people now are looking up, I want to be Mia Hamm, right? And they look up to that generation because we've laid that foundation. So right. my long-winded point is it does differ generationally and that recognition can help us understand how to best do what you do and shift and be able to open up and accept and be able to dream and put action in a place based on it from that base recognition of, I may have grown up in a different era where things I perhaps take for granted that weren't always that way. Absolutely. I think to your point as well, you know, one of the things, especially if I've got troubled kids that come in, because, uh, you know, a lot of the suicidal kids, um, if they've already attempted, um, they are just really lost um, and they're very angry and they're very sad. But I also have, um, you know, the adults who are coming in, who are frustrated and they're going through separation issues because of course the divorce rate is over 50% right now. And, uh, you know, so that plays a huge tie into everything. Um, what I talked to with the, with the individuals, one thing that I remember being in college, um, it, I, I remember if, when, when I was trying to figure out who I needed to be in the spotlight, because being in sports medicine, you are in the spotlight on this, you know, you know if somebody goes down on a football field, you've got hundreds of fans assessing every single move you make. Yeah. So how you act, how you treat others and keeping composure, even when you're really pissed off at the world, <laughs> you, you, you have to keep composure under pressure um, because you don't know who is going to rip you apart on camera or, or come back, you know, six months later and be like, well, you should have done this different because you didn't, this is the outcome. Um, I always remember in the back of my mind, if my greatest hero, or if, you know, the, the gentleman who led our, our, you know, sports medicine program, he is an icon. Um, if he were to be in the background and I can't see him at any event that I was covering, or if I was even at the Walmart and he happened to be on the other aisle, would he be proud of what he heard or saw of me doing if I acted a certain way? Um, and so I use that kind of that same concept when I'm talking with, ask, with athletes, especially those that lose their cool um, on the field yeah, or yeah. in competition, especially if they lose, you know, if they lose and they just, they are out of control um, and they find substance because of that. I'll ask them, you know, who is your greatest? If you could meet anybody in this world, who would it be? And, and they tell me, I'm like, okay, now if that individual happens to be at a community event, you know, watching a family friend or whomever, and they happen to see you acting the way that you did last week, would you be proud to be able to show them that that's the real side of you? And they're like, oh, I never thought of that. So it's, you know, when it comes to generation, it's um, teaching them a different perspective of how to behave in public or to even behind closed doors, because a lot of abuse happens behind closed doors. Yeah. And would, you know, as, as Todd Durkin says, what would Jesus do? You know, would Jesus be proud of you? You can't use that with everybody because of, you know, religious lines being crossed. And I'm really careful about that with my clients as well, because I'm in a business that sells. And if you offend somebody based on religion, like you're out, you know, and you don't know who they know. Right. So when it comes down to finding that uh, persona, yeah, who, who do you want to be proud of you? And if you were acting uh, mean towards a family member or towards yourself, you know, if they saw you treating yourself the way that you do, would they be proud of you? Or would they be like, oh, I'm really kind of disappointed in who that person actually is. And that's your one shot. It's a, it's a different perspective uh, when, when you're thinking about it that way versus why did it because I felt like it or because I had the right to act like that. Well, that's fine. But are you going to be proud of that if, you know, the one shot you have to meet the one person that you want to meet 
is gone now because they already saw how you are, you know, you can't go back. You can't take those kind of things back. Yeah. You learn from them. And, and you, may, you, may, you mentioned failure earlier. I tell athletes all the time. I tell my clients all the time, you know, if you fail, that doesn't make you a failure. That means you have been learning. And as long as you learn from your mistakes, you're growing. So when, yep. we, are when we are failing, we are learning and we are growing. Even when we are succeeding, we are still learning and growing. And, and learning, it's truly an experiment in everyday life, yep. what works and what doesn't work and how to, how to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, I would say there's, there's only really two failures. Failure not to learn from the same mistake over and over again, or failure to try. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, it's, it's a great point in terms of, again, we're all human. And if we never fell short or made mistakes, we'd have nothing to learn and grow from and become better. And I like what you're talking about in terms of how you want to represent yourself. And now we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. And that's okay, right? And we can learn and we can grow from those. So there is an element of forgiveness of, you know, I lost my call on the sideline and I'm, and I'm sorry. Like, I'm genuinely sorry about that. To your point, what I see is even if you're a phenomenal talent, say as a professional athlete, if you show a consistent, consistent, excuse me, pattern of behavior over time that does say berate people or loses their cool, that's the element that I think for me detracts away from them as role models because that's what they are, no matter if they mm -hmm. you know yep. want that role or not, unfortunately, because they're put in that limelight they become those role models for kids and it can perpetuate that kind of uh, culture and cycle. So I think there is worth in being able to help them step back from that. But that's one of the hardest things for people to do is look at themselves and go, what have I done that's contributed to this? Mm -hmm. What am I doing that's maybe leading to something that I don't like? It is really hard for people to have that introspection. Oh yeah, because you have to recognize you have a weakness and nobody wants to recognize they're weak. <laughs> I call them growth but areas, as, by the way. <laughs> yes, but as we know, you know, um, I could bring in an entire team. Uh, I did this, this was really cool, a situation. Uh, I had a coach or I have a coach. She really advocates for a lot of what I do. And she brought her entire team out right before the, um, I think it's the regional championship uh, match for her team. And, uh, or actually take it back. It was a sectional championship. Um, she brought them in the night before because it was fall break and she wanted to keep them kind of in line so that they can go out and be rowdy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Routine. Yeah. <laughs> so she brings them in and I've never met, you know, majority of these girls, but I, I called every one of them out. We sat in a circle and the way I started this um, team bonding event was I'm like, okay, guys, you know, my name is Amber Kivett and I shared with them, you know, this is what I do and this is my greatest weakness. Now, I want you to tell me what your name is, what position you play, and I want to know what your greatest weakness is on the court, because you as a team are only as strong as your greatest uh, weakness and, and your weakest member in mindset. Mm -hmm. So we need to figure out how to battle through that adversity as an entire team, but we all have to recognize what our individual weaknesses are so that we can rise up and lift each other up when we happen to see one of those individuals falling, we have to support that individual as opposed to be like, oh, they're just having an off day, you know, and, and substituting them out. Like you can't, we, there are other ways to rise above that. So we did yeah. this and it was really cool because so many of the girls didn't realize that their weaknesses were very similar. And it was very eye-opening because none of them had even recognized it. 
And then when I put the coaches on the spotlight and said, okay, coaches, you know, your, your team is only as strong as your fearless leaders, you know, so what is your weakness? And so as they were going around um, one by one, they would say, okay, my weakness is um, I, I don't know that I'm confident enough when the moment comes that I have to perform. Okay. So then I go back and teach them. And I've done this for a lot of gymnasts because gymnasts are under intense pressure. Yeah. How many hours have you practiced your entire life for this moment that's coming up? And then they tell me the thousands of hours, not hundreds, but the thousands of hours that they've prepared for this and be like, okay, do you think your body knows what it's supposed to do? Oh yeah, I guess it does. Okay. Then stop thinking and just let it do it <laughs> you know? because your thinking process is the one thing holding you back. You just have to go with it and not hold back. And so as we were going around the room and going through all these different situations, it was just really cool to see the whole team come together from going to being in clicks beforehand mm -hmm. to coming together. And then we go to the game the next day and the team that the coach asked me to sit the bench as an honorary coach for this tournament so I could recognize the mental changes that are happening as they're unfolding. And as they're unfolding, I'm walking over to the team, you know, off, off to the sideline, I'm like, okay, I see where your mind's at right now. This is what we need to do. I, I, I know you've got what it takes. Let's rise up and let's do this together because now is your time to shine and you can do this. And then they go back out and they do it. And it was a completely different team. They won the championship. And I had more parents that I've never met before in my life walk up to me like, what did you do to our kids last night? Because we've <laughs> never seen this team. And I'm like, I just talked to them. Yeah. I just talked to them, you know? And so we went on to the next championship and it was, it was just really cool to see so many individual personalities who were suffering and not willing to talk about it, including the coaches. And then they go out and they release that pressure and they all have coping strategies on how to rise up when the pressure is on, the greatest pressure of their season is on. And they're in, you know, they're going up against teams that they don't think they can beat. And they've already beat themselves in their mind because they don't think that they can beat yep. these teams. You know, so they've already defeated themselves. Their, yep. their tension is already, you know, uh, at a max, their body cannot perform under that kind of pressure. And so to see it all unfold was just really, ah, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Really, really cool. I, I love it uh, because one of the most powerful phrases for me in the English language is you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And what's even more powerful than that is showing somebody that. And that's what, exactly oh, so what cool. your exercise does. Yeah, it yeah. is really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, such such good conversation. Uh, Andrew, I actually want to give you another opportunity to chime in, though. Um, Sorry, Andrew. Instead of just Amber and I uh, stealing all the, the spotlight, my friend. So love to hear your, your thoughts. <laughs> it, it's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm enjoying myself just being part of the conversation. Um, and, you know, to, to touch on something that you said earlier about, you know, dreaming and thinking is... One of the things that actually really fascinates me is our ability to kind of dive into things based on what our beliefs are, or what's possible. And with the way that the world is going, um, I think more individuals in this world think more is possible than ever before. Mm. So because of that, I think where we are is on a very interesting tipping point of the world becoming a absolute phenomenal place, uh, opening up and, and so much great things happening. And it's all about us tapping into that. We're not alone. We're in this together. Um, 
stop being so selfish and start, you know, putting out in the world what you want and getting it back. Um, if we're all start practicing that instead of instead of being takers, like you were saying, is being givers. Uh, if everyone gives, there's there's more abundance in the world to receive, and that will lessen you know everything that's surrounding us. And I, I want I want to know how you could get the entire world into a moment of what's your weakness and how do we make become better team. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, this is so crazy you mentioned this. So this is like, this is a quote that I truly, I mean, it's my quote. Uh, Greatness is not experienced by what you have. It is experienced and measured by what you give and share of your gifts to others. And the more that you give and share your gifts with others, the more it comes full circle when you least expect it when you need it the most. So the answer to your question is we all have gifts within us. I don't think most people realize that and they're not willing to look within themselves what's right already within them. They're not willing to seek into that because it takes too much effort to actually look away from what everybody else is doing to looking into with themselves. They have to do the work. And if people would just find their true gifts within themselves and share those with others without expectation, then I think it would all come full circle for everybody because it would be more about giving and sharing versus about taking and being entitled and being, um, you know, awarded or recognized or being put up on this pedestal. Um, You know, it comes back to, you know, there's, when we do the mind work and we're looking at all these different people, different generations, different backgrounds, different success levels, we look at celebrities, we look at professional athletes, we wanna be like them. And I don't think most people realize I work with professional athletes, I work with celebrities. They're all suffering exactly the same thing we as normal individuals feel too. But God forbid, if they screw up and they do something because they can't get out of that that head trash, uh, as we call it, um, they are ridiculed and ripped apart by what they wear, what they drive, what they say, because they're a little overweight or because they did their hair a certain way. I mean, you look at Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees didn't have hair on the top of his head for a while. And he decided to have that, you know, that feature enhanced and that's totally his business. And he looks phenomenal and he's confident and he loves himself that much better because it's probably something he'd been wanting for a long time. So he did it, but everybody is obsessing about it. Like, why, why are we picking on somebody who just feels confident about being themselves? You know, but because he is so successful and he's such a good person and he's so giving of everything to everybody, people are looking for that one weakness to be able to rip him apart. And I think that's what everybody's afraid of. If people are aware of your weakness, that is the one thing that they can do to bully you or to rip you apart. And why? Because there are mean people out yeah. this world yeah. and there's not a way to avoid them. You know, and I, you know, the media is full of that. But good for him or good for whomever who has a nose job or who has Botox or whatever truly makes them feel special when they look at themselves in the mirror so they can let their gifts come out. Whatever those people need to do, we have no right to judge them. And I think, you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of individuals who are famous are suffering just the same as all the rest of us. And so I reflect on the definition of what is famous and famous is taking your platform and making the world better than it was before you started and having the platform to do that you know a lot of people would refer to that as being a famous person but you have to be able to do something with it because it's a gift you have to give back to it to make the world a better place because you served yeah 
And it's a very valuable lesson is because it's easy for people to look from the outside and judge. And mm -hmm. I think that when we understand the harm that that creates, it's easier to overcome that. And I mean, that's the reason why, you know, cyberbullying has become, I think, such a issue in the country because, you know, when we grew up, we didn't necessarily have cyberbullying. We were kind of right, all, right. Of, all of us were right <laughs> on that cusp, right, where we started I to could have... not have survived. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, that's not to say we didn't have bullying in school and things of that nature that, yeah. that happened, but it's such a greater level and people live such all their, they live so much of their life on social media and in the media that it is, it is something that definitively, I think, is one of those critical issues that leads to folks mm -hmm. coming into your facility with the things that they have because of not being able to, say, make that mistake or not feeling like they can reach out to somebody or feeling like something that they said in absolute complete innocence was taken out of context and judged because that's what communication is, right? I may say right. something and it has absolutely no negative meaning in any way to anybody and people can just pick that apart, contort it, <laughs> and then draw that meaning from it that serves some other, you know, non-serving purpose. So I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, and I'll tell you, when it comes to the individuals who are suicidal, a lot of those who are depressed, who have the physical pain, the cases, it, I'm not even going to talk about the severity of the cases that walk through the door, but I will tell you, 90% of them are social media driven. Mm -hmm. And when I take those kids, I mean, I have been, I have been called on house calls to come and talk to the individual because they're at that end of the rope. Um, you know, when I talk to that individual and I find out, okay, why do you feel this way about yourself? Or um, how many, you know, they aren't willing to open up to me. Okay. Can I see your phone? And can you show me how many hours you're on your phone on social media? And then when I see the amount of hours and they don't realize how many hours they have spent on their phone, because they don't know the analytics. Mm. Like, oh, whoa, okay. So I'll ask permission with the parent. Okay, here's what we need to do first. First, we need to completely withdraw from the apps altogether, the internet and the apps altogether, because we do know that there is a dopamine response to that, um, which rewires how our brain works. And when we are aimed into that addiction, that dopamine is an addiction hormone. When we become addicted to social media or to using certain apps and not being truly living in the moment with the air in which we breathe, that's when our brain starts to reroute our decision-making powers and our experiences. And a lot of people are living in an imaginary world. So when I take those individuals and explain to them, do you understand the amount of movement that you're doing is about that equivalent of a senior citizen laying in a nursing home based mm -hmm. on your analytics here. And then when I tell them, you know, this is, this is not like you have the right to do these things. Whereas there are kids in a hospital or there are adults in a nursing home who don't have the right to do them. And yet here you are complaining because he or she is picking on you when you have the right to shut it off and live your life. You know, and because they're so bored if they don't have social media because they haven't experienced life yet. Yeah. So when I put that into perspective and we take away their device for a week, um, they can text mom and dad and anybody that you absolutely have to text for a ride or whatever. But other than that, like everything else is off limits. And we go back to like flip phone days. They come back in a week later and they've written in a journal and they've written down their dreams 
or who they want to be or what they want to do that they haven't done yet. And they are a completely different personality without medication, without medication. And parents want to know how in the hell did you do that? And mm -hmm. I said, I take away social media. That's all mm -hmm. we had to do because it is such a toxic area. You know, Snapchat, you can bully somebody on Snapchat and nobody knows that it's happened because the, the picture disappears after a certain amount of time, but those feelings mm -hmm. never disappear. And there's a lot of that happening, but there's no proof of it unless somebody happens to capture a photo of it. So it's, um, it, you know, I've, I've had some of those situations come in where parents don't realize that their kids are doing certain things that they're doing and somebody else brings a photo to my attention and I'm like, oh, let me have a picture of that snap. Mm -hmm. And then I text it to a family member of that family because I know who their parents are. And I would want those parents to tell me if my, if my daughter was acting out of line and their parents are like, whoa, had no idea that their kid was acting like that. And it's the kids that you would expect to be behaving at the top of their game that are actually some of the worst. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I start calling the parents out and then they're like, oh, well, we got to fix that. I'm like, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> then it, then it really brings it perspective. But I mean, there's so much of those kind of things that, um, that are happening. And unfortunately, um, my husband's ongoing joke is um, I'm being cyber bullied and I don't even know I'm being cyber bullied because I'm not on cyber. You know, he doesn't have social media or anything. Yeah. So if somebody's talking crap about him. He doesn't even know because he's not on there. So, uh, you know, it, it's, and you know, I'm, I've got a niece who is 21 and, you know, she didn't adopt any social media all the way through high school. And she was, she was very successful, very happy, but she wanted no part of it because it actually brought out yeah. a lot of wasted time. So the rule in my household with my daughter, she's 11 and she does not have a phone. She wants a phone so bad. She can't stand it. But I told her, I'm like, you're getting a flip phone. <laughs> 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 you're getting, you're getting, you're getting a senior citizen phone. You're not getting the real, you're not getting an iPhone, right? <laughs> no, but I tell her all the time, if whatever you're watching on the internet, if you're not learning from it and you're wasting your time and you're absolutely insulting God's time to you because there are so many people who don't have this kind of time and you are um, wasting years doing nothing to make your life better. So yeah. if we're not making our life better by learning from others or from learning from certain things that we're doing, then we should not be wasting time with watching stupid things on YouTube that we're paying millions of dollars of like grown individuals to act like idiots. Like that's my big thing. Like you cannot you cannot waste time doing that because I'm not going to contribute to them sitting around being idiots and, and attracting you as their customer. Like that's not, yeah. So it's uh, everything has to be taught and learned. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I, I think Andrew and I, and I apologize for speaking for you, Andrew, but I think we'd love to have <laughs> you on again because there's a lot of things that you brought out that I really want to actually dig into. Just unfortunately, I think we're, we're running out of time oh, today to do absolutely. it, but there's two universal truths I take away from that. The first of which is we naturally compare ourselves to others as human beings. And mm -hmm. so when we see things on social media that are always uh, upbeat and don't give us the peek behind the veil, it's easier to get down on ourselves. And sure. then the second thing yeah. is the other people in our lives influence us. That's very true. The thing about it is we actually have the ability to dictate how we let that influence affect Absolutely. us. Uh, so there's really valuable information what you're bringing out. And uh, you know, I'll share with you, I don't have a whole lot of social media presence uh, outside of uh, what I post for my company because of that. We have mm -hmm. that ability to choose 
what we will let in and what we don't. So I, I think those were two phenomenal things actually to, to leave our audience with. Um, and I don't want to forget to, to do this before we go. Amber, so incredible what you've been able to do and what you're accomplishing. And I want our folks who are listening to be able to get in touch with you, to be able to reach out. So how do they do Thank that? Thank you. Yeah, so we just uh, created a new website here recently, and it's kksmagic.com. Um, everything that I do, it kind of revolves around magic. Uh, magic is anything positive that results from my influence with you, whether it's uh, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Um, so the, the website, kksmagic.com. And then any of the social media handles, um, I've, I've tried to streamline all those. So if you just type in K-K-S-M-A-G-I-K, you'll be able to find me or you can find me by my name. Um, and then for those who really want, uh, need prompt service, if uh, they don't find me through the website or they don't find me through the direct messaging and social media, I always give out my phone number because um, you never know who's needing that lifeline. And um, we do offer a telemedicine benefit right now through our um, software platform. Um, but you can reach out to me directly. It's 317-446-7971. And uh, I actually have a full-time athletic trainer on board. Uh, she works uh, as an employee for me and she has her degree in sports psychology and her master's in sports medicine. So we, we are doing it together, um, you know, and we aren't just, majority of my audience is actually not in Indiana. It's outside of Indiana. So, um, you know, there's, there's not too much that we can't handle. And if there is something that we're not comfortable dealing with, then we delegate it to a referral to a referral source that we that we trust. Excellent. So, yeah. Thank you. Uh, really, truly appreciate you coming on today. You sharing everything you did, and again, that's uh, KKS Magic M A G I K dot com to reach out to Amber. So, Amber, truly from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for for coming on and sharing what you did today. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's truly an honor to be part of your program. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. So with that, uh, we'll leave with what we'd like to, to say in this program is until the next time, be the movement in your life. If you enjoyed this podcast, please show your support by subscribing. If you would like more information on coaching, look at striveformore.com to find Steve's business, or you can look for pet care options at pittsburghpetcare.com. If you'd like to email us, you can email us at contact at pittsburghpetcare.com. See you next time.